Well, uh, it may say something about me, but there's nothing in the world that makes me happier than watching people in wedding clothes falling into water. <laughs> Just awesome. Makes my day every time. Uh, it's an it's a interesting perspective, isn't it, in that video? Um, you know, do you look at the world and do you see all the bombs or do you see all the moms baking cakes? Uh, or uh, is happiness really found in sharing a bottle of Coke? I'm not sure about that. We're going to talk about happiness today uh, as we move through this series, talking about winning, talking about the five key areas that, that most of us measure ourselves uh, against others in, um, things like attractiveness or power or happiness or, or money or long life, things that usually define for us a win. And today we're going to talk about happiness. But before I dive in, let's pray again. Father God, you've been so good to us this morning. Uh, you have, you've been present here with us. You've assembled us. You've given us each other, a community that we can gather together with to worship you. And that's such a great gift. Uh, you've fed us with your own self. You've given us an encounter with you. Uh, you've allowed us to, to, to run into your arms and find what only your embrace can bring. We thank you for that. And yet we're bold now to ask for you to give us one more thing. Give us a word that we need. A word that will speak into our lives, a word that will, will do something and transform us, a word that will be lasting. So speak through me. I offer myself to you and uh, get me out of the way so that you can have your way in all of us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Happiness is, uh, you know, do this for me. Fill, fill in that blank in your own mind. Happiness is What? Happiness is. And here's what I want you to do. Jeff asked you to do this at the beginning. Very few of you actually did it. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them happiness is and fill in that blank. Go ahead. Do that right now. Turn to your neighbor. Happiness is fill in the blank. And since you already thought of it, it might have taken you a second. Turn to someone else and uh, tell them what happiness is. Same thing, same answer. You don't have to come up with a different one. Now, I'm not the NSA, so I couldn't understand everything that you were saying. Um, but uh, I, I bet there were a bunch of different things that were said right now uh, as you filled in that blank. I mean, for some of you, happiness is a warm beach, right? Especially this winter, if you can find a warm beach. Good luck. Um, maybe happiness for you is going to see your favorite band in concert or spending time with a best friend over a cup of coffee. Uh, maybe for you, happiness is a gold medal for the USA. And if that's the case, maybe you're not so happy right now so far in the Olympics. But maybe for you, happiness is beating Russia in hockey. That should make someone a little bit happy. Okay. Someone in the choir loft is really happy. That's good. Uh, maybe for you, um, happiness is, is, uh, is just, uh, you know, making it through Valentine's Day and staying out of the doghouse. Maybe for some of you that is, that is true happiness, not messing anything up. Or maybe it's more serious. Maybe for you, happiness is freedom from, from debt because you're crippled by financial burden right now. Or maybe for you, happiness is finding a job. Yet again. Or maybe for you, happiness is getting out of a, a loveless marriage. So you think. Or maybe happiness is being truly respected or, or, or truly liked or, or being reunited with someone that you're estranged from. Maybe for you, happiness is clean scans or positive, healthy test results. Or maybe happiness for you is no longer being alone. 
Isn't it interesting that for all of us it can be different? I mean, over the years, as I've studied happiness a little bit, because I'm interested in it just as much as anyone, I've discovered some things about happiness that I'll just share with you. And the first is, is what we just talked about, that happiness is different for everyone. Everyone's definition is different. And this is so interesting that it's something we're all pursuing, and yet our path to it is probably going to be different. It's universally sought after, and yet there's no template for it. It's, it's going to be universally different depending on who you are. In fact, some people in the room may have filled in that blank in a way that you would find crazy. I'm sure at least one person said something like, you know, happiness is freezing in a tree stand waiting to shoot at something. And I don't get that at all, but some of you do, you know, that's, that's your way to happiness. And, and uh, someone else might have said that, uh, that for them, happiness is wrecking a perfectly good Scottsdale vacation with golf, <laughs> which was what our senior pastor just did. We sent him on a trip for his 25th anniversary. We talked about that in October. They just came back and I don't know why you'd do that. Why would you wreck a perfectly good vacation with golf? I don't get it, but it makes him happy. So it's different for everyone. And I just find that fascinating. Uh, happiness is fragile. Uh, I'm a person who is notoriously moody and proudly cynical, and yet, you know, I, I aspire to happiness. I try to get there, and, and yet I find that it's fragile, don't you? It's fleeting. I mean, you can be really happy one moment, and, and, and the next moment it can be gone, and you can forget what it even felt like to be truly happy. Happiness is tricky that way. I have discovered that happiness makes you more useful. This is interesting because a lot of us tend to assume that happy people are shallow or they're self-interested or in order to be happy, you've got to be kind of a self-centered person and, and not care about anyone else. But, but a recent study showed that happier people tend to be more interested in the problems of others and in the problems of the world around them. So they're more likely to volunteer. They're more likely to give money away to charity. They're more likely to, to learn new skills to be helpful to people. They're more likely to be persistent when it comes to problem solving, they're just generally more likely to help others. And I find it interesting that in that list of, of giving, serving, helping others, uh, you're more likely to be happy. And being happy is more likely to drive you to do those things. It makes you useful. It's fascinating. I, I found that happiness is not something that can easily be found by chasing after it. Maybe you've discovered this too, or, or, or maybe this will be the insight that you take away with you today and it'll change your life. Because, because here's what I found is, is if, you're, if your goal in life is to be happy and you pursue happiness for happiness sake, you'll probably never find happiness. It, it's going to be like that, that pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. Just keep chasing it. You're never going to find it. And yet, uh, the way you find happiness is often just living a, a good life, a life of integrity, a life of, of service a life of intention, a life filled with relationships of, of meaning, that's the stuff that will make you happy. But if you just go looking for happiness for happiness sake, chances are you won't ever find it. You need a different pursuit, a different thing to chase after. And then I'll say this, that happiness is not, this is something I'm learning, is not a result of your circumstances. And I think of everything on the list, this is the pesky one. This is the difficult one. Because so many of us, as, as we were filling in the blanks a moment ago, so many of us, we, we connected our happiness to circumstances, right? So we said, we said happiness is being with the right people in the right place, in the right situation. For most of us, happiness is all about circumstances. 
And those of us today who might be sitting here and say, you know, I, I'm chronically unhappy. You're catching me at a bad time. I'm at an unhappy season of life. For most of us, we'd point to our circumstances as the reason that's the case. My circumstances just won't allow me to be happy. And so here's what I want to say about this. Uh, Jesus offers a different perspective on happiness altogether, but especially on this last one. And Jesus is going to tell us today that your happiness is not, does not at all have to be connected to your circumstances. Surely circumstances can make you happy. We get that. But, but your happiness is not dependent on your circumstances. It's not a prerequisite. According to Jesus, you can be in the worst of circumstances and still have lasting happiness. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, and to do that, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1. So if you want to take out your Bible right now, you can do that. If you want to pull out your smartphone, as long as you promise not to start looking through your Facebook newsfeed, uh, you can take out your smartphone and you can go to uversion.com, go to live, type in STJSTL, and you'll find a great interactive menu for, uh, for different ways you can interact. The scripture will be there for you as well. We're going to look at some really challenging words from Jesus. Um, that, that talk about happiness being disconnected from circumstance. And, and here's what I find, that every person who has ever gone on a mission trip discovers this to be true, that there are people who are in circumstances and they've got so few reasons to be happy and yet they are infinitely happier than you, someone who's got every reason to be happy. Which is a profound experience and Jesus is going to talk about it. He's going to explain it, Matthew chapter 5. Um, so he's at the start of his ministry, Jesus is, and he's gaining a lot of popularity right away. So there are these crowds of people who are coming out to hear him teach and to watch him do miracles. So watch what happens here. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So this is a sermon from Jesus and it's sometimes called the Sermon on the... Mount. See, you guys are scholars. Uh, Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's found in Matthew 5 through 7. And uh, this section that we're going to look at is, is sometimes called the Beatitudes. Uh, so Jesus is teaching people, and he begins this way. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now I'm going to stop here. He says a lot more, and we're going to look at that. Uh, but I want to take this section and look at it, because here Jesus establishes a pattern that will help us understand the rest of the Beatitudes. It's kind of a bookend, and we'll see the other bookend coming up in about verse 10. Uh, but, but let's break this down a little bit. Jesus said, blessed. Now, this word blessed is kind of a churchy word. You know, I'm blessed. How are you? I'm blessed. But really, uh, in, in uh, Greek, it just kind of means the same thing as fortunate, favored, privileged, or even happy. There are some translations that actually translate this. Happy are, not, not blessed are, but happy are. But, but I think you can tell already that this is referring to a happiness that's a little bit deeper than a good belly laugh. Um, it's a happiness that's, that's longer lasting than a good night out with friends. It is a deep soul satisfaction. It is a lasting contentment in your spirit. That's what Jesus ta is talking about here. And so uh, throughout here, I may substitute the word happy just to keep us mindful of this lasting happiness that we're pursuing. So he says, happy are the poor in spirit. Now, what does that mean? We know what it means to be poor in money and to be broke. But what is spiritual poverty? Well, the Bible would describe being poor in spirit uh, a number of ways. It would say that uh, being poor in spirit is, is knowing that you're not right in your soul. Being needy or lacking for something spiritually. 
Being poor in spirit might mean that you're a person who is uh, subject to temptation. And maybe you don't always do a very good job of resisting those temptations. That's poverty in spirit. Uh, being poor in spirit means that, that uh, you, you know there's a war going on inside of you and you don't always do the things that are good or the things that even you want to do. You do things that hurt people. That's poverty in spirit. Poverty in spirit is recognizing that you're sinful, that you're broken, that you're not right. Even though you may look right on the outside, deep down there's something that is just not right in you. That's poverty in spirit. And here's the thing I just got to say to you today. And listen to this. If you're someone who's sitting here today and you've not yet acknowledged that you are one of these people who is poor in spirit, that there is poverty in your spirit, then you will never, ever be happy. Truthfully. Now, that may sound counterintuitive because it seems like as you start to ponder your sinfulness and your struggle and how you give in to temptation and how, how messed up we all are at a deep soul level, it would seem like that's the stuff that would make you depressed. And normally it would, but, but it's interesting. What Jesus will do here and throughout the rest of the Beatitudes is he will lift up circumstances that are unfavorable. Circumstances that few of us would ever want to find ourselves in. And, and he will lift up attitudes that the world doesn't find very popular. That are not winner's attitudes. In fact, he, he will start to describe people that the world would cause, call losers, not winners. And he will say somehow when you're a loser or when you acknowledge that you can be a loser, that, that there will be a true blessedness or happiness that comes to you. It's totally counterintuitive, but, but you just got to hang in and listen to Jesus about this because it'll change your life. It's almost like Jesus is saying that when you are wrong with the world, you're probably right with God. And the key here, the reason you can be happy, even though you're poor in spirit, something that should be really depressing, is this. For the kingdom, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. So what is the kingdom of heaven? Uh, sometimes it's referred to as the kingdom of God. And we, we talked about this two weeks ago when I was here with you as we were talking about uh, attractiveness and the fruit of the spirit. Sometimes we read the kingdom of heaven and we think of going to heaven. We think of eternal life. But it's not just about eternal life. It's also about that. But it's also a way of life. Jesus will talk time and again about a hidden way of living. A secret way that most of the world doesn't understand. A way of life, a way of, of living, a kind of fullness that people can have irrespective of their circumstances. It all hinges on knowing Jesus and what he brings into, into your life. But it's this whole way of life that Jesus embodied. It's all of these upside down principles that the world kind of just, you know, laughs at or ignores or dismisses that will actually lead you to a full and abundant life. That's why even those people who the world would call, call losers, according to Jesus, actually have a greater capacity for happiness because they're more open to receiving the kingdom of heaven. Uh, you know, two weeks ago when I was with you, I said this, by indulging in what's easier, you miss out on what's greater. To me, that defines the enigma of the kingdom of heaven. And here's the problem. If you're someone who, who is kind of a winner in life, that means you've got resources, you've got means, you've got options. And when we've got options, we all often, we often, aren't so smart with those options. We make bad choices. We, we often gravitate to what's easier because we can. But what Jesus is going to say here is that it's often people who've got no options, 
People who are broken, people who are downtrodden, people who are at the low of society, at the dregs of society. He'll say that those are the people who discover something greater because they've got no other options. Which is why often the losers in life are the people who are most eligible to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Everything that Jesus brings because they don't have any other options. They're not afraid to say life isn't working out for me so well. I'd like to try something else. So, so there's your bookend, you know, one cover of the book. And then Jesus will describe more about these unfavorable circumstances, these undesirable attitudes, or at least not winner's attitudes. And he'll talk in each case how, how even in these circumstances and with these attitudes, how you can be truly happy or truly blessed. Take a look at this. He says, happy are those who mourn. I mean, if there's ever a contrast, happy Mourning. Those don't go together, right? But he says, happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are the meek, or the lowly, or the people of of no lofty position or influence, for they will inherit the earth. He goes on, he says, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not people who, who have righteousness, but people for whom righteousness eludes them. I'm just raising my hand, because that's me. You know, in my heart, I want to be righteous. I want to be right. I want to be an upright man. And yet, sometimes it's just so out of my reach. And I hunger and I thirst for it. But Jesus is saying, those who don't have it, those who can't seem to get it, he says, they're happy, for they will be filled. He says, happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called middle children. can tell what my birth order is. They'll be called children of God. Uh, and then he goes, happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So here's the other bookend, right? We started with happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now he says, happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All this upside down stuff, he says, regardless of these circumstances, you can be happy. And then he concludes it with this. So he's talking abstractly, you know, happy are people who are mourning. Happy are people who do these things. And then he looks at his audience and he says this, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Really? So uh, when they tear down your monument to the Ten Commandments outside of the Supreme Court, declare it unconstitutional, be happy. And when they say that uh, you can't pray in schools, be happy. And when, and when they, you know, uh, enforce legislation that impinges on your religious freedom, you should be happy? What is Jesus talking about? I don't know, but look what he says. He says, rejoice and be glad. There, there's no confusing this. You know, if you don't like my definition of blessed as happy, you got to deal with this still. Rejoice and be glad even when you're persecuted falsely because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the people, I'm sorry, the prophets who were before you. Those are the Beatitudes. You know, guess whose list this would be for a happy life? No one's, right? I mean, when you filled in the blank, did any of those things show on your list? Of course not. And just to be clear, this isn't Jesus' list for a happy life. That's not what he's saying. This list isn't even exhaustive. What he's saying is that even when those things are a reality for you, even when 
You're experiencing loss and sadness in your mourning, even when you're hungering and thirsting for something that, that you need, that you want, that you just can't get your hands on. Even when you're being persecuted, you can have true happiness. And all of this hinges on this rephrase, this phrase that we see repeated again and again, this phrase, will be. So happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So I guess I got to retract what I said earlier when I said happiness is not a result of your circumstances. According to Jesus, happiness is a result of your circumstances. Just not your present ones. Do you get it? I mean, Jesus points beyond whatever your circumstances may be today. Your aching body, your broken heart. He points beyond your festering anger at some injustice, your lingering shame. He points beyond your crippling fear. He points beyond your bewildering grief. And he says that there's something so great that can be yours, even in spite of those circumstances. And and it's a part of your future, and yet it's a present reality. And and, and, and it's so great that, that you can be happy today, even in those awful circumstances, those circumstances that no one ever wants, you can find true, lasting happiness, regardless of what your circumstances are what he says. Now, uh, maybe you remember, uh, we've talked about this recently. Uh, Pastor Howard talked about it a few weeks ago, but uh, do you remember the Stanford marshmallow experiment? Uh, One week in worship, we even showed a video and passed out marshmallows to you to see if anyone could do this. Basically, they uh, gave a kid a marshmallow. They said, if you don't eat the marshmallow, by the time we get back, we'll give you more marshmallows. A lot of kids ate the marshmallows. Some didn't. Uh, They waited. They got rewarded at the end, and they found that those kids who could wait, they ended, ended up having Uh, You know, better test results, better jobs, uh, a happier life. Now, there was a group who took this same experiment and they modified it from Rochester, New York. And uh, and here's what they did. They they took the group and they divided the group into two groups. And they kind of, they changed this variable. They they tainted the groups by doing this. They created what they called a reliable and an unreliable uh, variable in the group. See, before they did the marshmallow experiment, experiment, what they did was they gave the kids a craft. They gave them like some paper to to draw on and, and, and they gave them a little box of crayons, you know, like little four box or crayons or something, four crayons in a box. And, uh, and they said, you know what? Um, we've got better crayons for you. So if you just hold on, we'll be back with better crayons. So just wait there. And for half of the, half of the subjects, um, they came back in a few minutes with crayons. And they said, here's the awesome crayons we promised. And they worked on the project. And for then for the other half, they came back and they said, ah, you know what? We're sorry. We don't have any other crayons. You just got to use these. Uh, and then they did, did the same thing again later with stickers. They said, oh, okay, we got some stickers for you. And, and here's some stickers, but you know what? We've got some better stickers. So we'll be right back with the stickers. And with the one group, the reliable group, they, uh, they came back and they had stickers and they gave them the stickers with the other group. They said, sorry, we're out of stickers. You just have to use these. So they got these kids ready, uh, demonstrating reliability and unreliability. And then they put the marshmallow in front of them. And what do you suppose happened then? It's pretty easy to tell, right? I mean, obviously, the reliable group's going to do better. Uh, to the tune of this, the reliable group uh, did significantly better. Um, they could, the, the average time that they waited, they were asked to wait 15 minutes. They waited an average of 12 minutes and 2 seconds 
And nine of 14 kids waited for the person to come back in the room. So nine of 14 of the kids who were in the reliable environment waited and for an average of 12 minutes, two seconds. The unreliable group waited an average of three minutes. And only one of the 14 kids waited. I would call that kid a sucker. What's he thinking? They've disappointed him twice. Why is he going to wait the third time? No, no, none of us are shocked by this, right? But do you see the application? And I guess this is the big point today. Uh, Regardless of your present circumstances, Jesus says that he has something incredible for you, in mind for you, regardless of what you're facing today. And he says that if you will devote your life to seeking after it, if you will wait for it, if you will not give up and do the easy thing, he will bring you something greater. See, it all comes down to trust. Your ability, and and this is the key to lasting happiness, your ability to live a successful, well-adjusted, happy life depends squarely on your ability to trust that Jesus is reliable. To believe that he will do what he said he will do. In spite of how much you hate your present circumstances, to believe that he's got something in store for you. Now, my kids... Um, I've got three kids, uh, a daughter who's um, almost 11, a daughter who's eight, and a son who's five. Um, and they can be a little high-strung as kids go, and, and, and they're prone to being anxious sometimes. They get that from their mother. <laughs> so sometimes in our house, uh, when it comes to watching movies, um, it, it could be a torturous thing. You know, you'd sit down and watch a family movie, and uh, you put in a Disney movie, something that's pretty benign, and, and our kids would get all just worried about the plot twist and if things were going to turn out okay. And it turned what was supposed to be a fun experience into something that was pretty painful. And so I remember with both of our girls, when they had this moment, uh, where, where they realized, all of a sudden it, it clicked for them, that in the movies they watch at least, the hero's not going to die, no matter how perilous their circumstances and they realized that, that they're going to find their, uh, their lost love or their lost parent or their lost whatever, that in the end everything's going to be happy. And it totally changed movie watching in our house, as you can imagine, right? Uh, suddenly, with that one bit of knowledge, our kids were able to wide, ride out the twists and turns, and they were able to enjoy them, all the elements of a good story. Now, let me be blunt with you today. The reason that we struggle to be happy isn't because we don't have enough. It's not because life isn't good enough. It's not that we've been cheated. It's not that people in our lives don't love us enough or or our parents didn't love us enough or raise us right. That's not the reason. The, The reason we struggle to be happy is because we don't trust Jesus to deliver on what he's promised. Now, I know if you're going through a hard season in life right now, that, that may feel like I'm, I'm blaming the victim. I know, I get it. And if this were all uh, your life would ever be, these present circumstances, I would understand. You know, maybe for you, life hasn't turned out the way you expected. Uh, just this morning, I got a text from, from my mom telling me that my, uh, my nephew, my 16-year-old nephew, uh, my sister's son, 
He's one of, one of four boys. Uh, he was born severely, multiply impaired is his diagnosis. He can't talk. He can't walk. He can't feed himself. He's in a wheelchair. He has a rod in his spine. He has a feeding tube. Um, and uh, he just went to the hospital in the middle of the night for, uh, for pneumonia. Now there's going to be some new breathing treatments he has to face. And he has seizures every day of his life and all kinds of complications. And I look at my sister. And I mean, this is my sister, my big sister. And I knew her hopes and dreams for life. And this was not a part of it. See, see, maybe your life today is not what you expected. It's not what you wanted. It's not what you dreamed of. It's not easy. And I just got to say that, that if, if this present season, if this reality you're looking at now, if, if that were all that life would ever be, you would have a reason to be bitter and angry. You would have a reason to be depressed. But your story isn't done yet. Regardless of how bad it is right now, your story isn't finished. See, what I'm telling you is that the Lord of everything, and, and I'm talking about the one who has defeated death, the one who was raised again from the dead, the one who lived a life that was perfect, a life that fulfilled, get this, every prophecy ever spoke about him over thousands of years. I, we're talking about one who is so reliable that he told his disciples, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And then he conquered death in order to do it. I'm talking about that one. He's standing before you today and he's telling you that no matter what your circumstances are now, that, that he can do something in your life here and today and he's got something for you in the future. He's promising you that you can have a happy ending. And today you might not see it, but, but he's declaring to you that even if you're mourning today, even if you're sad, even if you're hungry and thirsty for something that you truly need in life, it doesn't matter. Even if you're being persecuted falsely or treated unjustly for some righteous thing that you're doing, it doesn't matter, he says. If you hold on, if you dig, if you wait, he's got something better coming for you. Because he gets to write the ending. You may be in a season of waiting right now. You may be in a season of discomfort, but, but I'm telling you, Jesus is going to walk back into the room someday. And in his pocket, he's got a happy ending for you. Can you believe that? Can you trust that? It is, it is so simple that you and I, we might be tempted to, to dismiss it completely. And yet, if you can take hold of it, it will change your life. See, if you can learn to trust that Jesus is good and that he will show his kindness to you, even if you're not seeing it right now, then you'll be able to ride the twists and turns of life. The brokenheartedness, the, the, the failures, your failures, other people's failures, you'll be able to ride the twists and turns in life with a smile on your face knowing that you have been promised a happy ending. So rejoice, no matter what your circumstances. Rejoice and be glad, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Now, I'm a firm believer that um, what can't be said very well in words uh, can be communicated with music. And so we're going to end today uh, by singing a great old hymn of the church. The song is, It is well. It is well with my soul. And uh, as you see these words on the screen and as hopefully you sing along with them, they may be out of touch with your reality. T today, maybe things are not well with your soul. 
And I'm just going to challenge you as you sing these words, which may not be true of you today. You you may have a hard time singing these things. I'm going to challenge you to beg God uh, to prove you wrong, to give you trust, and to give you a picture of his faithfulness, his reliability, that he will not forsake you. And he's got great things in store for you. They're sometimes hidden, but they're true and they're real and they're certain. So that your heart, when you leave here, can be at peace and you can say, it is well. Please stand as we sing.